Hi, this is the teaching time of Southside Baptist Church of Gaffney, South Carolina. I'm Walford Kaufman, the pastor. We invite you to come and be a part of our church fellowship. We meet at 204 West O'Neill Street in Gaffney, South Carolina. Presently with COVID-19, we're having a 1030 worship service in our Family Life Center. And yes, we've actually started Sunday school back at 930 on Sunday mornings. And so this is usually our teaching time that we have on Wednesday night. Thank you for joining us. If you would, get your Bibles ready there at Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. Uh, Romans 3, 1 through 8. Paul is using a very unique concept here in this particular part of this letter he's written to the church there in Rome. It's a... It's like a courtroom setting. It's like in a debate setting. And what Paul is doing is got an imaginary uh, person that's questioning him. And so uh, it's, it's an interesting concept, but I've seen it done recently on, on TV with other folks trying to teach by dealing with the, the objections, the questions, and all that's going on. Most likely what happened is through Paul's ministry, he's heard many people questioning this or doubting this and, and you know, asking him questions. So he's kind of summarized them and put them in certain categories. And this is how he deals with it. And then this imaginary uh, person questioning him, well, why this and why that? And so it's an interesting study. That's why I'm keeping just eight verses today. And so as we look through this, but before we begin, let's have prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word, and it is so real, it's so challenging. So let us look now at our life, and Lord, how we can learn from this, and we can grow from this, and Lord, thank you. Thank you for a great history, but thank you for a modern-day newspaper that's laying out in front of us as your precious word. It is something to live by. In Jesus' name, amen. So there we start uh, with really kind of two questions in one. Look there in chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? So two questions in that first little statement. So what advantage is there being a Jew? Paul answers very positively there in verse 2. Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. So much in every way, that's how he says it, entrusted with the Word of God. Basically, you start with the Ten Commandments. Jews had that first. And so the second part of that question, it comes, uh, what about the outward sign of circumcision? Outward sign of circumcision. Well, he dealt with that a little bit in Romans 2. Just look over there to Romans 2, verse 25 through 29. It says circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, they will not be regarded as though they were circumcised, the, though, as though they were circumcised. Verse 27, and the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God." And so he deals with that there. So what we see is that the 
this outward sign of circumcision. See, Jews took great pride in this outward sign that, that physically had happened to them. This was so much a part of their religion. It's almost like we Baptists that just because we walked through the church, that we were in church as a child as vacation Bible school or Sunday school, or we used to be in the old RA and GA programs, that somehow just being in that church physically, we're saved. Uh, or grandmama used to do this, and granddaddy took me to church and do all those kind of things. These were some outward things. So we see in this concept here of the circumcision, the, the concept was good. You remember, if you go back in the Old Testament, look, there you see that God set up certain things to make the Jews different than the rest of the world, to separate them, that this has been set aside just for God's work. And so the Jews, through this circumcision, had been set aside. So the, the concept was good, but the reality was bad was bad. They were thinking that this just this outward symbol meant everything else was right. But Paul had shot them out of the saddle concerning that. The idea seemed to have been good uh, to show that separation. But true circumcision was not what happens on the outside of a person. What we see here, what we just read there in uh, chapter 2, tells us that uh, for it's in what's in the heart. It's what's in the heart that matters. Just think about it. how we judge people so much. You, you come up on, uh, into a store and you see this person's got all these tattoos and, and piercings and we judge quickly and said, oh man, something's wrong with them. And then maybe find out that person's a doctor, <laughs> a lawyer, a professor. That's the person that will stop and give you the shirt off their back. So outwardly, oh man, look at this. But in the heart, same way when people talk about being good and go through the motions of being good, but what's in the heart that matters? That's something for all of us to learn, right? All of us to learn. So a Gentile could be the very same as a Jew. It's not what's on the outside that matters. It's what's in the heart. No difference there. But we see in verse 3 this imaginary opponent, this imaginary debater of Paul. Look what he says. What if some did not have faith? Would their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? So uh, I love what Paul turns around and says there in verse 4. Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar as it is written so that they may prove, prove right when you speak and prevail when you judge. So what we have here from this imaginary debater is a question, the what if question. The what if question. Um, you know, and that's understandable we see uh, about this, that uh, uh, from these Jews, if they're unfaithful, what's going to happen? And uh, here's what we need to realize. is not if they become unfaithful, it's when they become unfaithful. Much like believers of today, we fall short. We're human. We make mistakes. So it's not if we make a mistake. It's when we make a mistake. When we sin. So we see all this. So this is a really uh, a no-brainer. Uh, yes, they had been unfaithful. They were probably unfaithful at that time. And they would be unfaithful tomorrow. Just, I mean, I use that terminology a lot. But God 
is faithful yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Same way you look at it, we're unfaithful yesterday, we'll be unfaithful today, we'll be unfaithful tomorrow because we are human. We make mistakes. That doesn't mean we try to be unfaithful, but that's just a reality. So what it was saying here is that, that uh, they were unfaithful and they would be unfaithful. So th they were imperfect, even as a circumcised Jew, that outward sign. So if they do disobeyed God's law, they had been unfaithful to God. Then they would come under God's judgment. That's right. You can be circumcised, but that doesn't mean you're not going to pay a price for being unfaithful. There will be discipline. God spanks us, doesn't he? He disciplines us. He tries to get us back on the right path. So we need to be looking at him. See, Paul had already spoken of the Jews' unfaithfulness. Back there in chapter 2, you see that in verse 5, we see it says there they were storing up God's wrath. I mean, can you imagine storing God's wrath? Unless like that infection that builds and how terrible that is. Or we stockpiling all the trash and you take all the trash out of your house. You put it in a can, put it in the road, you know, the trash men carry it off. But take that trash, instead of putting it out there in the trash can, what about put it in a back room? Fill that room up in the next room and the next room and the next room. Uh, I hope you're not like that, but there are some hoarders like that. What about people that are sinning against God and storing up one day God's going to clean house? We said it in chapter 2, verse 5. And then uh, chapter 2, 21 said about this, about the, the unfaithfulness of the Jews. They taught others, but they didn't teach themselves. They preach against this, but they still would do it. And that list just went on there in verse 21 of chapter 2. And so we see all that's happened there. They were unfaithful to the covenant you know, that contract that they had with God, that God did this and they would do that and they had not kept the part of their contract. Uh, you remember the days when we used to have an agreement we could just shake hands? Nowadays, you better put it down in paper because you're going to have to use that paper to go back and say, now this is what you said you were going to do. This is what you going to agree to do. And so all that's going on. So the question then, so now is, look, if we are unfaithful, does God have to be, have to be unfaithful? And that's why he said in verse 4 there, not at all, not at all. See, I love what Paul says here. God is going to be true even if every human being is a liar. Now, I don't think every human being is a liar at the same time, but I do believe in our sinful world today Everybody is a liar at some time or another. But that doesn't change God. That doesn't wash his hands of us and say, okay, I can do whatever I want. God will always be faithful. God will always be faithful. And so if you want to have some, that quote there, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge, Go back and look at Psalm 51, verse 4. That's right. This is, uh, this is Paul taking the Old Testament Scripture from Psalm 51, verse 4. And basically saying this, God will always be faithful. 
He will always be faithful. God will always be just in his judgment. I mean, can you imagine a judge one day says this and then another day say that? Uh, these folks that worship these false gods and these other cults and uh, all this junk that goes around in the world today, some of them are worshiping a false god that really, even in their teaching, says he may do it this way this time and the next day do it another way. See? I mean, he's a bipolar god with a small g. But we have a god that never changes. His love is perfect. His judgment is perfect. All this. God will always just in his perfect judgment because God is God. You can't change him. He cannot be influenced in other ways. God is always perfect. And so let's trust him in that. Now, here's that imaginary Jewish objection again. Look what, read that in verse 5. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust and bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human judgment. Got that little remark there? Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? How could God judge the world? And so what we have here is what good can our sins do? What good can our sins do? Uh, this objection uh, is questioning God's judgment. It's questioning God's judgment. The reasoning behind this is if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, we've done good. In other words, the more you sin, the more God can love you. Now, you think, oh, that's crazy. Uh, folks, unfortunately, I've heard it, and most likely you have heard it. Some of us have thought it too. Think about it. Translation, can our sin show the world how good God is? God is perfect. Our imperfectness does not show the world how good God is. So concept, our sin allows God to love us uh, more. His love, you know, is kind of like contrasting colors. Like the back of my phone here in this white sheet of paper here. See, what shows up? Oh, well, like the wording on here. You think about this concept. Uh, we can't see that black unless we got the white. So what we need is contrasting. That's why we need to have this sin so we can see the perfectness of God. What kind of pardon me for saying stupid rationalization is that it's called being a sinner we always want to cover ourselves we always want to blame others so the idea have been good to, to show the separation that's what they were saying but true circumcision was not from the outside not from the outside and so we need to realize it's in our heart that makes the difference there see our sin does not show the world that God is a good God. Our sin shows us how bad we are and how we struggle. And so here's another question that's kind of thrown in there. Is it not unjust for God to be so hard on us? Is it not unjust for God uh, to be so hard on us? Um, then, you know, the idea here is if our, our actions, our sinfulness, we're helping God out, then isn't it unjust for him to come down so hard on us? And I love what Paul wrote there as a human argument there. It's a twisted thought, but it's in our world today. 
more I sin, the more God can love me. The more sin, the more I can get saved later on. Who said we got a chance for that later on? See what the heart can do. That's what an outward circumcision is what's in our heart, how we live for Lord. So Paul has an answer for that. I love that when he said, well, certainly not. Certainly not. And so what we see now is not dealing with our sin destroys the foundation of God's judgment. Not dealing with our sin. Not dealing with our sin destroys the foundation of God. But some of you say, well, God's not dealing with us now. He's letting this happen. He's letting that happen. Didn't we say about storing up wrath? Folks, it will come, and it will be perfect wrath for a perfect, from a perfect God. I started to say, for a perfect sin, there's no perfect sin. But we have a perfect God who will deal with us just as we need it. So that's going on there. Not dealing with our sin destroys the foundation of God's judgment. And then God's glory is built on God's truthfulness. God's glory is built on God's truthfulness. To have God's glory depends on how much we sin is a ridiculous statement. I mean, God's glory? Let's be reminded, and that's what Paul does here. He is saying, we all sin. Okay, verse 7. Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases His glory, why am, am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result, their condemnation is deserved. So we're reminded we've all sinned. You've sinned, I've sinned, Paul sinned, the Jew sinned, and the Gentile sinned. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you. And so earlier we had a contrast between the wickedness of the Jew and the righteousness of God. But what you see here in verse 8 is more of a contrast between the falsehood of the Jew and the truth of God. But how many times you see the world today trying to change the truth? Either they're denying it or they're saying, well, that's so outdated. You know, that's not the way it is today. This is the word of truth that never changes. It's like these words just change from one year to the next to match up, not to take away, but to say how powerful this word is. That's the Holy Spirit working through the precious word of God. It never changes in this message to us today. And so that we see this contrast. And so Paul says that uh, that's a slanderous claim, that let us do evil that good may result. Let us do evil that good may result. And then that last part of verse 8, and their condemnation is deserved. In other words, you're getting what you deserve. What's that old saying? Uh, you made your bed, now lie in it. And so all the, they deserve what they get. But God does not need our evil to contrast His goodness. He doesn't need that. His goodness is perfect. It shows up in such a perfect way. Uh, J.W. McGorman wrote these words, God wants our goodness as a reflection of His likeness. To be like God. God wants our goodness as a reflection of His likeness. See, 
we're not to have the bad to contrast, oh, here's so good, over here, God. We just need to be like God. We are not perfect. We're sinners saved by grace. But what we need to see is that we need to have goodness in our lives to live it out. And when we can't, you know, here, here's a problem, kind of some closing thoughts. When we sin, we can be so creative in justifying our actions. What about certain people want to live a, a lifestyle of sin? Well, that's the way God made me. Well, did God make you like that or did you choose that way? Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, everybody else can be going to hell too. Do you want that? Well, you know, I live in a new day and time. I got new freedoms. Folks, we got the same bondage and we got the same freedom there was 2,000 years ago. That's right. Nothing's, we put new labels on it. We try to change it and the terminology, but it's the same sin and the same grace. We need to be trusting. So when we sin, let's stop being creative. Why not, you know, uh, the, like the thought of this. Uh, I know Valentine's is coming up. And uh, uh, I, I tell young people, the best time to break up your boyfriend or girlfriend is to do it right before Christmas and Valentine's and their birthday. That means you don't have to buy them anything. <laughs> okay, but some people got this concept. It's a good thing to break your loved one's heart so it can be so much sweeter than when you make up. Now, I'll ask you something. Is there a chance we might not make up with them? Is there a chance? Yes. Are we going to have a chance to make up with God if we keep on sinning and sinning and sinning and all this? So you think about this. That's, that's a crazy thought. But then, here's the last question. Why not when we sin, we just simply, humbly confess our sins and seek repentance and shame admit our shame see we live in a day and time people glorify their shame people glorify their sin today let's trust an almighty God by confessing our sin saying we have been unfaithful we have been we have done so much things there and we are sorry it hurts us if it hurts us, we know it hurts our Heavenly Father. Why not confess and trust in Him today? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this study because we hear these same words today. Why not sin? Because, well, once saved, always saved. But once saved means we need to be living out of that grace and that mercy that we received. Lord, forgive us when we try to justify our sins. We try to reclassify our sins. But Lord, let us realize what sin does. It hurts you. It brings tears to you, Lord. And let us realize you just love us. You want us to turn from our evil ways and come and be like you. Let us truly be a reflection of your goodness today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's go live in this world today, living out this grace, this mercy, this love. See you next time.